Welcome to the Ninja Tune Podcast with myself, DK, and our special guest for this edition is 40DL. We'll be talking to him about his new album, In the Wild, his early years growing up in New Haven, and as usual, we'll hear some of the music that has influenced him over the years. Again at Ninja Tune HQ, and we're joined this time by Drew Lussman, better known as 40DL. Welcome along. Thank you very much for having me. We're going to have a chat about your new album, In the Wild, which is released on Ninja Tune. And we're just listening to the track Danger, which was the first single from the album. And once again, that was in the original old school Ninja record sleeve. Was that your request? Well, we did that with uh, 12 last year, called Hard Courage, the same name of the album. Well, that might have even been 2012 when that came out. But I, I was sitting upstairs in the office and I saw the old flyer on the wall and I just thought right then, hey, can we use that sleeve? Let's go back to it. It's cool. I like that. This is your fourth album. You had two on Planet Moo and your last album, Hard Courage, came out on Ninja Tune, beginning of 2013. So tell us a bit about this album. You seem to have taken a slightly different approach sonically. Definitely. What was your inspiration with this release? A big part of it was film uh, and some sound design work I was doing for film last year. Um, and so I was just sort of training my ears to be listening for different things and sort of different spaces and different rooms and different atmospheres. And I just got back to a place where I was having a lot of fun. Like I was, every, every track was a total experiment. I was having so much fun doing it. I wasn't thinking about anyone else hearing it. You know, there was no, cause it was so soon after the last album, like the idea of releasing an album just about a year later was not what I was thinking. I would have thought maybe about now I'd be finishing it. So it was cool. I made it in this little, you know, isolated cubicle of fun. Where was it? Where did you? Uh... <laughs> yeah, in my apartment. <laughs> but like, it just, you know, the stars aligned and, 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 and I'm used to this sort of like writer's block that happens after you release an album, but it just didn't happen. Like, and it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so I'm just cranking them out right now. I'm still making tunes. So did you literally start straight after the last album? I did, but I don't think any of them were those tunes were good enough. But I kept I kept all my you know my muscles sort of exercised my music writing muscles um, just by staying at my in you know in in the studio just by getting you know I feel like that's so much of the the work is just getting yourself there and then you can do something you know. Shit, shit, shit. 
also working with uh, Chris Shen uh, on the visual aspect. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, Chris came highly recommended from Alex here, and uh, and I and then I looked at his music video for Synchro and some other projects he's done, and it was it has such an aesthetic. And he's a young guy, and he's and he's what he's doing is really great because he's had a couple offers to sell some pieces for permanent collections and this and that, and he's held off. And I like, have so much respect for people that can just like say no. It's really cool. Um, but we just started chatting similarly to how i get the artwork done for the album it just starts with a conversation with my friend tom or this with chris about like hey what are you into these days and what am i into and how can those two things sort of enter because like this project sort of informs his projects as well as it informs the album you know i mean it's for this campaign but it's what he's into at the moment as well um, and we just talked about how this album will get you know consumed by the public after it gets released and how it gets changed and how it people make edits and they put them up on SoundCloud or it gets illegally downloaded or all these different things that you just can't care about anymore because it just is what it is and it's great and it's cool and in the minute it's free it's freeing when you sort of accept that you know it's like whatever we were doing 10 years ago was new to the people that had been doing it before them and just you know independent labels are really good at making quick changes and hopping on things fast and being able you know it would take a major label I just read this, I'm quoting whatever I read yesterday, but it takes them about a mile to make a turn, you know, whereas it takes us you know, just a sharp, sharp turn, whatever. <laughs> That's like half an analogy right there, but whatever. So just conversations with Chris, and uh, there's that track called I'm Sitting in a Room. It's like a 45 minute piece, and he records his voice, I'm sitting in a room, you are listening to me, blah, 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 blah. And it plays, and then he re-records that, and then he re-records that, and it starts to find the resonant frequencies of the architecture of that room, and those become, other than the rhythm of his speech, it's it's no longer recognizable after half an hour. It's just these like hums, these beautiful hums. And what we'd like to do is have the visual and the audio do that eventually by recording something over and over and over again until it's just sort of a flash of light and a bit of noise, you know? It's like, let's degrade it more and more and more. You know, I wanted to leak the album at like 8 kbps or something like that, or maybe 16. I think it's been done. Bogdan Rosinski did it once with an album on Reflex, and it just sounds like, you know, but it's cool. There's a page on your website for your album where you're asking people to contribute by refilming your videos. Is that where the idea came from? Yeah, it was. It came from that. Uh, and it also it, it scratches a few different itches. It, 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 it's it's interesting and it's fun and it's cool. And I knew it's gonna it's gonna be something that might take a while to catch on after we put a few videos up there. There's four columns. There's three empty spaces for other videos that'll come up, which you'll discover soon, hopefully. Uh, but the original video of my song being played on the subway uh, is recorded, and a minute of that recording is put on YouTube. And this, the sound is recorded diegetically. I think that's the right term, meaning like it's just room mic'd. It's not actually like a music video with good audio. It sounds pretty bad already. And then that's recorded by whoever, and you upload it and you send the link and we put it up on the website and it becomes the last version of that video. And then someone else comes along and records that and we upload that. And it's like, you know, just generate, like recording over a cassette tape over and over and over again. And there's little like fragments of what was there before. And, and everyone adds their own little twist to it and that's cool i didn't you know we don't want to put a lot of rules on this because the whole idea is like once you get it it's yours you know if someone all of a sudden does the next recording and turns it into a plug for their own thing we're going to keep that going like it is it's going to be whatever it's going to be
another track that I think was definitely a turning point that helped directed sort of the final project in a way and it came out of pure experimentation again um, so there was like no guilt <laughs> yeah there was no I'm trying to fit this into any box it was just super fun making it and that felt like every track was like that and then as a whole the album feels like my articulation of my own feelings you know the way that I best sort of communicate is through my music you know and I understand that that's just a romantic idea but practically it's 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 actually, it's more of a curse than anything else, you know, when I'm trying to talk to, like, a family member. I just want to be like, well, why don't you just listen to this track? That'll tell you how angry I am with you. <laughs> or some shit like that. But, uh, but like, you know, I think it's, it's a bit dark, it's a bit light, and I think whatever you make of this album, I'm just happy that you have any genuine emotion towards it. And, and for the first time in a very long time, since maybe my first album, Love is a Liability, have I been this excited for anyone just to hear the record? I just want people to hear it. And, and not because of what waves might come after that, but just because I'm so, I guess I'm just proud of it. And, and then, well, I have to deal with that feeling. Is it okay to be proud? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's been, it's been a great, it's been a great year musically. This, you know, I, I think what's, what's a good tell is that, is that I haven't had any writer's block. Like I just keep making music, you know, uh, writer's block is a funny thing because we really do impose it ourselves, but it's just, I haven't done it. I haven't gotten in my own way. I've only opened up more doors. So when's the next album? When's the next album, right, exactly. <laughs> Under my new name, uh, on Blueberry, a week after, no. <laughs> I'd like to talk about your early years and, uh, and some of those early musical influences. You grew up in New Haven, Connecticut? Yeah. Uh, there's a track named after your hometown on the album. Um, what were you listening to growing up with, you know, as part of the family? What kind of struck you early on in your uh, years? Yeah, I think like when I was starting to really get a sense of what I, of forming my own musical opinions was about the time my dad was playing Frank Zappa around the house. Strong sense of humor with strong musical sensibilities as well. And I was a classically trained musician as a kid. Not very well, but I was. So I appreciated the strict staccato nature of his music and how excellently performed it was but also the sense of humor was just brilliant and from there I self-discovered so much music really on my own all this jazz completely on my own and all this classic rock less on my own because it was on the radio and uh but I wasn't no electronic music yet not really not when I was like when I was a young kid there wasn't I mean yeah I mean I had this one CD, it was called like 140 BPM Ride the Ultra Beat or something like that. It has a, I think there's a Two Bad Mice track on it. That was the only one that I would probably still listen to today, but it's an old, yeah, it was like hardcore. It was like 1992, 91 or something like that. And I, and I, was, I was like 140 BPM, whoa. And then I would later, you know, discover things like Square Pusher and really be like, well, okay. Blink, 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 blink,
jazz and you've uh, brought in a Wes Montgomery track was that part of that period that was tell us a bit about this track yeah well I was you know I was I was playing the up I was playing the double bass the upright bass and I was getting more and more into jazz um and it's like a really so I was listening to a lot of fast musicians I wanted to basically transpose guitar solos onto the bass I wanted to be like Stanley Clark like be able to because it's such it already you're already at a disadvantage as far as speed playing the bass because it's such a beast but Wes, man, when I discovered Wes, I started figuring out that all these guys were like just tuned in, like tuning shit out, but tuned in and and really high too. And some of them on heroin and some of them not. But like, so there was, you know, which paralleled my own sort of drug uh, uh, experimentation as a kid when I was getting into jazz. But like the whole vibe of that, of like these dudes that are these jazz men, these entertainers are actually these like kind of cracked people, but that can just found out a way how to articulate with the world. I really stuck with that at an early age. And I think Wes had a lot of demons and could just, and I don't think there's a guitar player better than him. I really don't. I mean, he did that, his whole octave soloing thing where he holds down an octave at once and moves it around so fast. I think he's better than Jimmy. I think he's the best. I don't know. Proximity 
to New York. How far was? It's not that far, is it? Yeah, New Haven's pretty equidistant from New York and Boston, and you sort of end up at one of those if New Haven becomes too small for you. If you don't want to work or attend Yale University, or if you can't for whatever reason, you sort of have to get out of New Haven because it's a big, outside of downtown, it's a it's a really nasty neighborhood, really nasty place.、Um, So going in and out of New York, yeah, my whole life since I was a, just a baby. You know, we have family friends in the city. So New York had an effect. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was yeah, it was crazy. Like going down, and we'd stay on Houston Street, and on the twenty-third floor of the Silver Towers,、uh, which is all owned by NYU professors. And you had this view of the World Trade Center, and you had this incredible view that went all the way down to the tip of Manhattan. And, and seeing that as a kid blew my mind. Coming from the little suburb, you know what I mean. Definitely, it's still magical to me. Culture in New Haven was there. It was、uh, it was the hardcore punk scene is huge in New Haven. So it was bands. It was like Jamie、jo、Hatebreed and and stuff like that,、uh, and ska and hip hop, a lot of hip hop. So every member of Wu Tang Clan separately and together. Very cool. When I did finally start discovering electronic music from friends of mine, and I got the Richard D James album, that Aphex Twin album. I had heard a lot of really aggressive stuff before then, like the jungle stuff and the hardcore stuff and Squarepusher stuff was really aggressive. But I think there's moments in girl in the girl boy song and on that album that were very feminine and very, or, or maybe that's not even the right, it's not right to assign a gender to it, but just very different and opened my mind up. And like there's actual just tunes on that album, there's songs on that album, and that really changed my idea of what a solo producer could do.、Um, I wasn't quite thinking of as a producer yet, but. It planted the seed of like a solo producer making albums. That and introducing DJ Shadows, introducing stuff like that. Well, let's have a listen then to Aphex Twin and Girl Boy Song.
Aphex and uh, Girl Boy Song. So you, you say that that sort of planted a seed. When uh, when did you actually start making music? Uh, when I got tired of being the bass player in the band. <laughs> I mean, well, I'd, yeah, I'd been playing my whole life making music, but when I really wanted to go solo, I was about 20. 1920 is when I started, when I got my first version of Reason. Started making little beats. Uh, soon found out Luke Vibert was using the same version and it was all justified. And... Uh, it's cool. Not only could I make tunes that sound like my hero, but I could do it on the same software he was using. So is there a, a particular Luke Vibert track from that period? Yeah, well, you know, and, and before Luke, it was his Wagon Christ stuff, which was on Ninja 2. And they're so syncable too, man. I love that. When I came over here, like, syncable. I was like, well, it's like some BT advert. And like, and it was one of his old Wagon Christ songs. It was only like last year. I was like, that's amazing. It's like, it's, it's real over here. Um, but Luke's incredible. I have a relationship with him. I mean, he's remixed... He's working on his second remix for me. I'm doing a remix of him. I'm releasing a record. I just put out a record of his on Blueberry. Um, we've gone record shopping together. He ignores any email unless it says records or records, R-E-K-K-I-D-Z, uh, in the subject. That's how I have to get in touch with him. Okay, let's, let's, let's pick one Luke Viber, Wagon Christ. Yeah, let's do the No Turn Unstoned. I love it. When, when did you move to New York, and, uh, and what effect did that have? Right, so the only way to get out of New Haven with any ounce of support from my folks was to say that it was going to be for school, because they believe in education, and I do too, to some degree. Uh, so I enrolled at uh, City College up in Harlem uh, into a sonic arts program, and I was not accepted. I was, on, I was provisionally accepted, so I had to perform for a year there. This was 2006 when I moved to New York. And in my class was Bauer and Harlem Shake fame. We'd sit in the back and we would just talk shit. He got into the program and I think he graduated and then wrote a hit. <laughs> but I got out, it's funny because I remember I got out and I ran it and then I put out an album and he was like, Drew, you're doing it. And I was like, I know, it's crazy. And then he got his degree and he's really doing it. You're gonna tell me now it was your idea for Harlem Shake? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was basically my idea, no. but. Uh, but that's how I got to New York was to, was to be able to do that, um, and I got my New York sort. I changed addresses, whatever, and then it's like the only way to get cheap cheap uh, university level education is to go to is to go to the sort of the state college. It's like I don't know, a couple hundred dollars a semester. It was like really manageable. 
Um, but I got a job as well. I was working full time, pre- well, you know, 30 hours a week, 40 hours a week, and going to class pretty much full time. And then at night, for the first year or two, I was. I was not really, I was sort of like straight edge at the time, for lack of a better term. So I wasn't going out so much, I was just home making tracks all the time, making really crazy tracks. And then like a minute later, sending them to Mike Paradinas, just like firing them off without even listening back. He's got them all. He's got a DVD somewhere with about 100 tracks on it that I once sent him with my awful handwriting scrawled on the top of it. And would you like them to come out some stage? Not at all. <laughs> nope. Lockdown. <laughs> So at some point you did start going out and immersing yourself? Yeah, I did. I was like, I should probably see what it's like more if I'm going to try and do this. Um, But no, but as I started going out, paralleled the time I started getting gigs. So half the time I was on, you know, either side of the the booth, the DJ booth, so to speak. And where were you going? What was the... My friend Dave Q was running this night called Dub War, which was the first dubstep party in America. Of course, we're talking real dubstep here. We're talking like he brought over Scream and Mala and Code 9 and Lofa and Benny. Oh, no, he never got Benny ill. He wanted an early horsepower thing, but he didn't get him. In 2005, Scream's first gig in America, you know. Dave brought dubstep to America. He really did, legitimately brought it there. And uh, and then he also threw some of the first footwork parties in Brooklyn as well, later on. Just one of those guys, like, he's an ad, he's, an, he's like a madman, you know, he's an ad guy. Minus the drinking problem. And, uh, and he's just like, he's so on it. You know, when you meet, like, non-art, I mean, he's an artist, but when you meet, like, non-traditional artists who are just such tastemakers, it's so great to be in their presence because they think differently than anyone else. They're like, they think different, you know, Apple think differently. But uh, yeah, so he booked me and I did my first ever proper live show. I brought my keyboard down, this full length keyboard. And on every, every note I like drew on with tape and a marker, like what sample sound that was. And all these little weird notes that only made sense to me. I had like pieces of paper with like, you know, track orders and little things I had to remember about EQing. Anyways, that was such a nightmare. I decided to never do that again. And now my live set is super simple. But so this this guy who bought, uh, do you know his thoughts on the current sort of music scene in America? So about last last year, I'm sitting at a TJI Fridays, which is this big, uh, or was it a Buffalo Wild Wings? I always forget. It's like one of those really crappy, disgusting chain restaurants, but with like a three dollar margarita that's like the size of your head. And it's me, Lofa, and Dave. And the Grammys are on, and Skrillex is accepting <laughs> an award. And he says something to the effect of, oh, yeah, like, and you know, out to the, to, the, to the kids in South London that started. I look over at Lofa. We both look at him, and his jaw just, like, drops. And it's like, you know, it's weird. So just to sort of be on both sides of that. But, uh, yeah, it's cool. Dave, you know, he's got this sick sort of fetish for it too, which I do too. Like, I'd love to see Skrillex play. I'd love to see a V. I need to go see Avicii. 
I really want to see that guy play just as like a, you know, doing research for like in, into humanity. Like, you know, I want to go there and put like a pacifier in my mouth and wear some like neon green and like get in the front row and just do it. I got to do it. talk about another track you bought in uh this time it's from a soundtrack and it's harry nielsen everybody's talking tell us a little bit more about that films have been a huge influence on me and as that they are on many artists and that soundtrack to uh uh, midnight cowboy specifically that movie because it's such a weird movie with john voight it's like all about homosexuality and sexuality and prostitution and moving and relationships and dealing with homeless people you know all these different ideas that I, I knew nothing about and then this like angelic song that just like comes on Harry Nielsen and he's singing you know everybody's talking at me you know I don't hear the I don't hear the words they're saying only the echoes of my mind and it's like it's just and I quote it, it's on the it's on the artwork on the back of my album I quoted Harry Nielsen that was like a really quick decision to do that and I still think it's a good one but uh yeah, it's like here I am in the middle of what's going on and I don't I can't quite understand why it's happening or what anyone else is saying, only the echoes of my mind. It's only like I only my own experiences and my memories are what I'm going off of and I'm gaining new experiences and memories. And it's all quite dangerous. I don't know. But that song is just so lush, you know? It's so beautiful. Well, let's have a listen. Um this is Harry Nielsen and everybody's talking. Everybody's talking at me I don't hear words they're saying Only the echoes of my mind People stopping staring I can't see their faces Only the shadows of their eyes I'm going where the sun keeps shining Through the pouring rain Going where the weather suits my clothes Banking off of the northeast winds Sailing on summer breeze And skipping over the ocean like a stone Well, let's talk about your record label, Blueberry Records. Yeah. How did that come about? And um, was starting a label always part of the plan? 
Uh, not always, but in the last couple of years, what really made me want to do it was getting all these tunes from this guy Bird, B-R-R-D. He's one of those Novell type of producers, young kids. Uh, just sending me stuff that reminded me of what I was doing, like really playful, sampley hip-hop and experiment like ambient stuff. And it was really good. And then he started sending me stuff that was just the next step further and better than what I could do. So it was even better. And, and, I, and, I, and the first thing I did, oddly enough, was I sent a bunch of it here. Tried to get him signed to Ninja and, and Brain Feeder or just, you know, someone. I just was like, this, could, this really deserves the audience. And there was a quick pass um, from both labels, but a big like, this is great. And actually some, uh, some encouragement from Dean here uh, to say, you know, you should put it out which was really cool and then some more encouragement from other friends i did a james blake tour and he was like drew start your own label stop you know don't mess around like just get it done and then once you start it if you got a good little P D deal with a you know kudos which is what i'm with some small distributor not small but you know independent record distributor it's kind of on autopilot you know and it's just been this great thing for me to if the tunes aren't coming, if Faulty DL is not having a good day, there's other, there's other ways to spend my time that feels productive, which is nice, you know. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's pick one track from uh, the Blueberry catalog. No, let's do a bird track, because I'm really, you know, I, I'm really so into this, this guy's stuff. On the, the second side of, uh, of, the, of the first release uh, is this track called The Anointing, and uh, it's just like unabashedly sampling this gospel singer, but it's just, I don't know. It's really tasteful. It's really, really tasteful and made on some minimalist gear. It's cool. You've, you've done a lot of remixes. I have, yeah. I've kept busy with remixes. Um, is there one remix that you're most proud of? Uh, yeah, I really liked doing the Shion Kuti one. Because I'm such a fan of his output and his father's, of course. Um, that was really dope. And and then Giles played it. And I was like, that's great. <laughs> you know, like I did something. That, it was sort of like there was a real complete idea with that one where I got it. I knew what I wanted to do and I executed it. And it happened pretty successfully. Um, 
But also like in the beginning, you know, I remixed like Zed Bias. That was huge because he's someone I always really listen to. And I've done a remix for LB. And I think that's coming out at some point. Those are guys I was listening to back in the day. You know, Fotech as well. And Anthony Shake Shakir. Um, I'm doing less, but spending more time on each now. Run, 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 run. Run, 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 run. Run, 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 run. Run, 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 run. To die and kill for what you believe in. Me, I want to see a brighter day. With the children playing, laughing. I want to see a happy face. With the nation growing, thriving. They wake the things, the things, the things, the things, people, and you try to hide away. find the process easy hard do you, have you ever kind of frozen because of either you've admired the artist or the track so much no i've had to walk away though like for a week and come back with fresh ears or a day or two um if there's time uh what i like to do one thing i like to do is be sent the separates parts of the track to remix without hearing the track first i'll get an email hey you got this new thing coming out you want here it is you want to remix it and i go well, why don't I get the parts first? I don't want to hear it because I don't want to be in too influenced. And then at some point, maybe I'll check it out. You know, I can get a, you know, I have all of the parts. I know what's going to happen. But uh, it's just like you come at it from, like you found some scraps somewhere. Like all the sampling work I was going to do that day, it just appeared in a folder for me. Now I just got to build a tune with these tools. You know, it's cool. It's a nice sort of just exercise. Let's go to another track then from your from your record you brought in. Yeah, Tony Allen, Asiko. Uh which is on Black Voices, I believe. There's like a few Asikos, but I think it's the first one that's on the album. Or maybe I just have some deluxe version or something. But I mean, drumming alone, I'm always looking for breaks as a producer. So, and I've lifted some Afrobeat samples in the past, but uh, not actually never his actually, but uh, maybe I respect it too much. Um, yeah, these like, these like 10 minute jams is what that album is. And it's, uh, I don't know, why do I love that one so much? I don't know. I, uh, maybe it's his voice too, just the Asiko. And there's some production value. There's like some panning and some weird stereo stuff he does on there that I wasn't hearing in the, in the, in the, in the Cootie records he was working on. Well, let's have, uh, let's have a listen then to uh, Tony Allen and uh, Asiko. 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 Asiko, 
duro de Asico, Asico, duro de Asico, Asico. Oh, they go to the one way, give one mafia, yeah. Another track you brought in, Gil Scott Heron, must be something. I mean, it's difficult to choose a bad record by Gil Scott Heron. Why uh, Why this one? Yeah, okay, so the slow sort of stomp of the keyboard and the drums in the beginning. But what really makes it happen is when he when he harmonizes with, the, I don't know who's, who's doing the backup scene, but it just hits me in such a way. And I didn't discover him for a while. Like... And I don't have a problem admitting that. Maybe I do. But like, yeah, only in the last couple of years. And it's just like, it's just such a gift when you get to discover someone and there's just so much material you get to go through. What a gift, you know? He really left such a legacy. It's incredible. Um, there's some lines on that out on that song, some lyrics that I can't recall right now, but that are, uh, like anything he said, just so poignant of the time and, and are still, I mean, how many people do an edit to this day of The Revolution Will Not Be Televised? I mean will not be downloaded, will not be digitized, will not be whatever, you know. IG Culture did a version of it on his album last year or whatever. It's just an incredible musical stamp on the world. Don't make you feel like doing it. We ought to be able to get about 350 or 400 part harmony in this if we try it hard enough. So come on with us. Must be something. Must be something we can
Next few months, what's coming up? Plenty of touring. Yeah, I, um, I'm I'm flying across the Atlantic. I think it, every month till the winter, <laughs> and sometimes more than once. But I'm back in the UK in August for an album release party for for In the Wild and uh, other other gigs around Europe. Definitely. Ever see yourself doing it like a live representation? You want to get that keyboard out again and uh, write down the samples? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a performer. Like I, I should. I feel like I should get back to that. But I'm also producing for other people right now, like for, for a lot of rappers. So it'd be fun to maybe be up there with someone else sort of in the front, you know? I don't really feel the need to be in the center on a stage with a lot of people paying attention, but I'd love to be making the music that's being played. That'd be cool. need to say thank you very much and i need to say thank you very much thanks for coming down and uh, running through those tracks and telling us a little bit about your musical history cool in the wild is out on ninja tune and don't forget to check out all the uh, stuff on blueberry records as well thank you turn our attention to some of the new releases coming out on the Ninja Tune family of labels and up first it's Stigmata by Canadian MC Trey Mission. This is the first single and title track from his debut album which also features the likes of Wiley, Skepta, Socrates and Chaos and is out on Big Dada. Back to the day when I used to beg God Could a nigga get studio access And in my studio itself got robbed Are you living like a movie, you an actress You got issues due to your bad press I got issues due to this hood shit Back then when that was the address I lost everything due to this bullshit Fuck knows I would nigga cover come so cutthroat I wanna put the 450 to him up close It's hot lead for your head, nigga fuck flows I'm in the mix on road, nigga fuck flow But I'm thinking about my dukes when I'm getting it It's so evident she's not stupid How many full time gigs did I ever get? 
you gotta love mummy Certain niggas only know how to love money The kush did make me forget a few bars But when I'm on form, niggas gotta run from me So unlucky, some say different He dealt me a hand, no one played with it but me So I'm living day by day with it If you say grind, better say my name with it You Mission with Stigmata featuring Fez on Big Data. Up next, it's The Bug and a track called Void, which features Liz Harris of Grouper on vocals. And this is from the new album Angels and Devils on Ninjagin. and a track called Void featuring Liz Harris on vocals from his new album Angels and Devils. Next we have recent Ninja Tune signing Evie Jane with their excellent single Closer and this features artwork by the amazing Leif Podaisky. Thank you. 
of Evie Jane and their single Closer. Now we switch over to the work disc label run by Actress and this is the single B-Boy 202 by Moire that also features on his new album Shelter. B-Boy 202 by Moire from his new album Shelter on Workdisc. Finally, we have Draft Culture by Dorian Concept from his highly anticipated album Joined Ends, which is coming out on Ninja Tune. This is just a taste of what's to come and is available as a limited one-sided 12 featuring artwork by Dorian Concept himself and as a download. Draft Culture by Dorian Concept from his new album Joined Ends. That's it for the Ninja Tune podcast. My thanks once again to 40DL for the interview and to Tom for help on production. Thanks for listening and we'll be back again with another edition soon. <laughs>